Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Pray with me. God, for thawing ice, we give thanks. For electricity, we give thanks. Uh, For the heat that warms our body, we give thanks. For the gift of feeling, for thinking, for living, for this moment, I give thanks. In Christ's name, amen. And please be seated. During this season after the Epiphany, which sits between the seasons of Christmastide and Lent, we'll be in a sermon series titled, The Christian Mysteries. About this series, we write, Throughout its long history, the Christian community has pondered a set of mysteries drawn from the life of Jesus. Mystery. This word in its ancient sense points towards something hidden a dawning awareness that unfolds only slowly through musing, reflection, pondering. In this sense, these Christian treasures, incarnation, atonement, resurrection, trinity, are not fixed dogmas with singular meaning. In this series, we'll explore how these evocative images continue to disclose new meaning today, illuminating our lives as we hold the story of Jesus in conversation with our evolving understanding of justice, goodness, and reality itself. Incarnation, atonement, resurrection, trinity. For many of us, these words rouse up within us the importance of correct thinking, right? Going even further, these words rouse up within many of us the importance of believing just the right kind of Christian ideas. But these words, these theological containers are about something so much more substantial. From the very beginning, these words were about reality itself. These words were about saying something about the heart of the infinite. These words were gesturing toward an understanding of existence that has the potential to hold us and to shape us and to inspire us toward all goodness. And that's our hope for this series. Our hope is that these theological containers, incarnation, atonement, resurrection, trinity, penetrate our consciousness to become grids, filters. I think a better word would be convictions through which we make meaning of these precious lives that we live, in this precious world that we live within. Incarnation. Incarnation is the lens through which Christians rest into this reality. There is a union that exists between materiality and the infinite itself. Incarnation is the lens through which Christians rest into a reality, which is the union of humanity, materiality, and the infinite. 
We see this in the life of Jesus. This word incarnation has its roots in Latin in, which simply means in. Wouldn't it be nice if all language worked that way? And caro, which means flesh. In caro, in flesh. A couple key texts that gesture toward this ancient idea are found in Matthew chapter 1 and John chapter 1. From Matthew 1 verse 23, look The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, I know if you've grown up in the church, hearing this word Emmanuel, God with us, is something we've heard over and over and over again, but this is a provocative idea. God is with us. And from John 1, verses 1 to 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. And then down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, we have seen his glory. Again, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard John 1 again and again and again, but this idea that the word was in the beginning and the word was used to create it all, and the word is wrapped in flesh and dwelling among us, this is a provocative idea. Incarnation, the divine in flesh. Incarnation, the divine in materiality, the divine in Jesus, who invites us all in John chapter 15, abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in me, the incarnation, as I, the incarnation, abide in you. I love the word abide here in the Greek, me nata. Menata in Greek is translated as also remain or stay. Abide, remain, stay. And so according to Jesus, it's actually up to us. Jesus abides in God, and God abides in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us. And so we can, if we choose, abide, remain, stay in Him. But to be clear, our choice doesn't alter what is. Jesus is really clear here. He abides in God, and God abides in him, and he abides in us. That's just how it is. And so according to Jesus, we can either abide, remain, stay within this incarnational reality, and our world will be imbued with divine human union. Or we can fade. We can cease to exist. We can live within this incarnational reality that, say, it doesn't exist. It's not happening, and our world will be imbued with with divine human separation. Union or separation, these are the worlds. Now, without a doubt, they're two very different worlds, right? A world of union, a world of separation. And unfortunately, and quite ironically, Western Christians have often existed within a world of separation, right? Like in the Hebrew scriptures, we bear witness to an ancient thought on a three-tiered reality in which God is up there in the sky and humans are here on the earth and the dead are down there in the earth. And during the writings of the New Testament, Greek, Greek culture saturated thought, which believed that the soul, the spirit, that thing inside of us that animates us, well, that is pure and imperishable, whereas the body, materiality, was impure and perishable. 
And then in the fourth century, Augustine mistranslates a Latin text on Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which resulted in a long-standing myth called original sin that insists on human depravity and separation from God. God up there and humans here, the body is impure and perishable. Humans are depraved and separated from the divine. It's no wonder our Christian nation, air quotes here, it's no wonder our Christian nation has such a tragic relationship with self and other selves. Because a world and ideology of depravity and separation is tragically harmful. We've talked about this before. Developmental theorists and psychologists agree. For example, the great Abraham Maslow, who studied human motivation and need. Ultimately, Maslow explained a hierarchy of five essential human needs in order to flourish. And one of those five hierarchy includes love and belonging. Love and belonging. What happens when a person exists in a reality in which love and belonging lack? Well, the findings are not good. Listen to these. Negative self-talk. Ongoing comparison with others, difficulty setting boundaries, continuous striving, and likelier to exist in abusive relationships. That's the result of a world of separation, for sure. In 1984, Father Thomas Keating invited a broad range of spiritual teachers from virtually all of the world's great wisdom traditions, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, indigenous, Islamic, to gather at St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. This came to be called the Snowmass Conference. One of their goals as leaders was to investigate points of agreement. That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's talk about points of agreement. And they came up with eight. And one point speaks directly against an ideology of separation and depravity. It reads, As long as the human condition is experienced as separate from ultimate reality, the human condition is subject to ignorance and illusion, weakness and suffering. It is against this harmful world of depravity and separation that the subversive and sublime Christian conception of incarnation rises. A reality in which human divine union exists. And Jesus invites us, abide in this union. Rest in this union. Stay in this union. And if we do... Like if we can actually do that, well, then suddenly God is no longer up there, out there, separate from it all. And suddenly God isn't just spirit, right? Calling us up and out and away from our flesh. No, instead God is with us, in us, humans bearing witness to the fullness of divinity within their very own lives. Divinity within humanity, thinking, Divinity within humanity, feeling, relating, walking, eating, hoping, suffering, dying. You see, every one of us is represented in the life of Christ for who doesn't think or feel or relate or move about or eat or hope or suffer or die. Your life, whether you choose to believe it or not, your life, whether you choose to abide within it or not, your life is intrinsically woven together with divinity itself. And so the great Sufi poet Rumi writes, Lo, I am with you always, means that when you look for God, God is in the look of your eyes. 
in the thought of your looking nearer to you than yourself. And the same is then true for the life of every other human, no matter propensity, our propensity to dualistically separate, right? Male, female, queer, straight, free, incarcerated, saved, unsaved, documented, undocumented, their life, whether you choose to believe it or not, their life, whether you choose to abide within it or not, the life of the other is intrinsically woven together with divinity itself. And so, taking some literary license, Rumi writes, Lo, I am with the other always, means that when the other looks for God, God is in the look of their eyes, in the thought of their looking nearer to them than their very self. Humans, you see, are divine, which is to say holy, every single one. And if that's not good enough, the incarnation is about more than just the divine in us as humans. It actually extends to everything. And this is so important. Just as many Western Christians have been taught to exist within a world of separation of God and self, many of us have also been taught to exist within a world of separation of God and all of materiality, right? Due to many of the same reasons, in the Hebrew scriptures, we bear witness to this ancient three-tiered world during the writing of the New Testament, Greek culture saturated thought, and it, it diminished materiality as good and lasting. And then Augustine in the fourth century, original sin, which also insists on a fallen, a broken creation. God up there, creation down here, materiality is impure. This world is broken. It's no wonder why our Christian nation has such a tragic relationship with the creation, right? Many think, well, this is a fallen world. Many think, well, I'm leaving here and going up there. Many think it's all going to hell in a handbasket. All the while failing to honestly engage with their own theology of incarnation which draws from passages like Colossians chapter 1. Listen to these marvelous words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers. All things have been, been created through him and for him. Listen to that last line. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. About this, scientist and theologian Ilya Delio explains, the incarnation speaks to us of a world filled with God. I love this next line. But only a heart in love with matter can see this God-filled world. This heart-centered being in the world is a penetrating vision that sees the divine depth of world things. In every action, we must adhere to the creative energy of God to coincide with it and to become its living extension. And so the ancient Urdu poet Mur writes, rose and mirror and sun and moon, what are they? Wherever we looked, there was always thy face. So different way to see it all. Wherever we looked, there was always thy face. You see, it is all divine, says the incarnation. And so philosopher and paleontologist Teilhard de Chardin explains, I merge myself through my heart with the very heart of God. God is at the tip of my pen. 
my spade, my brush, my needle, of my heart and of my thought. By pressing the stroke, the line, or the stitch on which I am engaged, I shall lay hold of that last end toward which my innermost will tends. And this is where the theology of incarnation gives rise to the concept called panentheism. Now, to be clear, panentheism is different from pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that everything is God. Panentheism is the Christian notion through which we find God in everything. Could you imagine? Pearl Church, I hope we can. I really do because it changes everything. No longer is this world going to hell in a handbasket. Instead, this world pulses with the divine so through and through that in it and through it and because of it, we bear witness to the infinite. And that makes everything. Even that plastic blue chair that you're sitting on, utterly and wonderfully holy. The incarnation transfigures all of materiality into divine encounters. This bread and wine, holy, sure. But also the altar upon which the bread and wine rest. That plastic chair you sit upon, this building of brick and mortar and steel and glass and the earth that this building rests upon. All of it. The sand in your toes, the scent of baked goods in your nose, the warmth of sunrise on your skin and its dazzling light in your eyes, the morning bird song in your ears. It is all holy. Every part and particle capable of bringing human beings to their knees. Maybe even their faces on the ground in surrender to an imminent and present God whose energy pulses through the fabric of all creation. And so in my all-time favorite poem, which you will hear over and over again at Pearl Church, Hafiz writes, Slipping on my shoes, boiling water, toasting bread, buttering the sky. That should be enough contact with God in one day to make anyone crazy. And this is why I wanted us to sing in today's responsorial song the words, Lord, let your face shine on us. Lord, let your face shine from me. Lord, let your face shine from them. Lord, let your face shine from bread. Lord, let your face shine from wine. Lord, let your face shine from life. Today, every single moment, right now, look and see the infinite palpitating in you, in her, in them, in this. This, not fallen world, this sublime materiality that pulses with the infinite. And then what if we were to just pause? You know, not just looking at that tree in autumn, but every single moment that is divine. What if we were to just pause? Literally or metaphorically bow down, lean forward, and kiss life itself with our very own lips. The infinite is at hand, made visible through materiality of every kind. And Jesus invites, abide in me as I abide in you. And Colossians reminds he himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so it is for us to choose today to exist within a world teeming with incarnation, a lens through which Christians rest into and celebrate and delight in the union that exists between all of materiality and divinity itself.
And my hope for Pearl is that our every breath would be baited by anticipation as we encounter God very literally at hand. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.